International. Hey there, this is JT Haverset sitting down with Ariel Norman for the Leading the Blind podcast, and today we're going to talk about the upcoming Altercation Comedy Festival, among many other things. What were you doing today before you got here? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. Uh-huh. Uh, well, this this week is a little more intensive than normal because the festival's next week. So today I was uh, getting all the laminates set for these 70 comics coming in mm-hmm. and uh, also coordinating airport pickups and such. When you say getting the laminates set, what do you mean? Uh, well, um I'm a DIY guy, so to you, the easier thing to do would be to order set-to-go uh, lanyards and laminates of like a festival thing, oh. but that would cost like you know 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I do all of the art for all the laminates, and then I get them all laminated, and then I cut them all out, and I buy the lanyards separately, and I put them together. Gotcha. How <laughs> much does that cost? About. 80 bucks okay quite so quite the savings mm-hmm. i'd rather take the time and do that stuff than to yeah uh, how many hours would you say you invested oh, in that? jesus christ i mean in that specifically or in the fest like, no in that specifically not long i mean I, I live out 20 minutes outside of austin so to drive into town to go to staples or whatever to get all that done in the time there probably uh, three four hours total three, four between hours. everything so you're basically making a hundred dollars an hour at least <laughs> that's a good way to put it yes that's a good way to put well. it and amazon prime is your friend there Anything that I can get that'll be delivered in two days, that's, uh, you know. There you go. Mm-hmm. Although, although I will say Amazon is the Walmart of the internet, mm-hmm. and you should try to avoid it if That's you can. true. However, uh, I'm a one-man band last, this week, and yes. sometimes you need it is, well, a it's lot a, of gift as bags. a last resort. Let's, let's just call Amazon a last resort <laughs> instead of the first resort Fair that enough. people use it for so much. The dollar store can be good as well if you dollar want, store, want yeah. to support the brick and mortar. Exactly. At least, <laughs> at least there's like some more jobs in there. I don't know. I do indie shit as much as I can in other right. other degrees, but when I'm buying we all do gift bags or whatever or lanyards, I'm you know just get it to me. Yeah. How do you even? Where do you get a lanyard? I don't know. Exactly. You know what? Walmart. If you own if you own a local <laughs> lanyard company in or near Austin, yeah. please write. Yes. Leading the blind podcast gmail.com and let us vegan, know. And all vegan only. Yeah. Local mm-hmm. free range Sourced. lanyards. <laughs> Um, so today you were doing work for the festival, mm-hmm. and now here you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. you were like, I'm coming from Elgin. I was like, what, what's in Elgin? But is that mm-hmm. where you live? It is, yeah. Oh. It's uh, 25 minutes on 290 towards Houston, outside of Austin, and it's got uh, trees in the backyard and sausage. Yeah. A lot of jerky. That's what I... I haven't had the jerky, but yeah, very good sausage. It's the sausage capital. <laughs> do you really... How often do you eat sausage? Not much. Okay. I, I didn't even know, coming from New York, 
barbecue to me was something that you did that involved burgers and hot dogs and stuff. Right. Yeah. And wasn't like it's a, like a, a verb. Noun. Right. And so when I got here, I was like, oh, well, I like ribs. I've had ribs before. It's like that. They're like, well, it's brisket. I didn't know what brisket was. <clears throat> and sausage on the East Coast is usually like Italian sausage, you know, like yeah. that type of thing. I'd had a brat before, but I didn't really know. And so, uh, yeah, I like it, but it's so heavy. I don't know. It's very heavy. Yeah. But it is tastier than Italian sausage. It is. It'll, Thank you. It'll, uh, yes, I'll give it that check mark for sure. Uh, my foil has been uh, Tex-Mex more so. Yeah, and the Italians really know how to ruin food, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I miss Italian food no, desperately. I'm, I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah, is there any... Uh, there is one place here that I know of that's good. Um, I have not found one. Shout out to Patrizzi's at the Vortex. It's a oh, food yeah? truck. Yeah. All right. Oh, it's a food truck. It is, but it's really... Oh, yeah. I know. It's, it's very good. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Because um, I also have these problems. So when did you... you you're from New York. Uh-huh. And how, when did you leave New York? I left New York, let's see, 2005. So 12 years ago? 12 years ago. How old are you? I am 41. So yeah, I was like 29. Does that math yes, add up? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. 12 and years And so, ago. yeah, I uh, it's coming up. It was actually the first weekend in October. So... Uh, That's your 12 year. Coming up on my 12 year. And you started doing comedy in New York, right? Technically. Oh. Um, it's kind of weird. I, I, the first time I ever got on stage, I was 16. Because mm-hmm. I was down in New York City. I used to go to New York City like every weekend. I'd take the train down to the city to go to punk shows. And um, I always liked stand-up comedy. Never tried it. And then I happened to be hanging outside um, stand-up New York after mm-hmm. a show or something. I was just talking to the door guy. I said, what does it take to get up? He said, you got four friends? Yeah. Give me your email, or not in my, there was no email then. Give me your phone number. Yeah. So I gave him my phone number. And uh, I got a call from him a week later and said, hey, Thursday night, can you be in town? It was a bringer show. You know, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. And uh, you'll get five minutes of stage time. You have to bring four friends. Said, yeah. Cool. Did he warn you that they had to buy drinks? Mm hmm. Okay. But I knew. I, you know, yeah. I, in my experience. Well, you, were, you said you were 15, right? 16. 16. So. <laughs> yeah. I had never been to a comedy well, technically club. Technically, they are allowed to buy. Or could you bring in under, under 21s? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all I knew is I had a, a show at a comedy club. So yeah. I was very excited. And, um, you know, also, I mean, I've been talking a long time ago. So it was. My experience as far as a comedy club, like that was the only place you did it, yeah. you know, and so I didn't know anything and it was fun and I did it once and it was, it went okay, all things considering. I had no idea what I did. Um, and then he asked me to come back again and I said, well, that was quick. I didn't know I made that much of an impression. And then you got four more friends. <laughs> and then the second time I was like, oh, I get this now. All right. Yeah. This is a scam. <laughs> it's a business. <laughs> it's a business plan. model. It's a business model. Sure. Yeah. But I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to. Okay. Okay. And so that was that. And I didn't do anything after that comedic was just like once or twice i think i did it and the second time i did it i was waiting to go up and the the owner i don't remember who he was he was just some comedian but had been in the business forever and he he dropped in and they put him on right before me as like a you know i got bumped and he did 10 minutes and annihilated this room just like lit it up and i followed that was like whoa (laughs) (laughs) so i think that also combined with the so you quit for another I never really started, so yeah. I was just like, this is something neat to try. Um, and then in college, they had a thing called Midnight Theater. I was never really a theater kid, but I was a radio guy. And wait, where were you in college? SUNY New Paltz in upstate New York. Gotcha. And so I studied. I was the, the college radio music director dork and all that, and um, which I took very seriously. I did radio for the first part of my career. And um, there was a thing called Midnight Theater, and I was very into... 
Henry Rollins spoken word stuff and Jill Biafra stuff then I always liked comedy you know George Carlin specifically edgy you know whatever with a message I guess yeah, yeah. Um, but I also very much liked the, the people of the day the Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and all that but um, Midnight Theater was kind of a it was a booked performance that people would go to it was at midnight and you could bring booze and it was on college campus and you could do anything from you know really bad poetry to comedy to whatever and so I, I booked myself as spoken word but it was very comedic but it wasn't stand up there was no beats or yeah. you know it was just monologues I guess yeah so you weren't doing poetry no <laughs> so. I was very ugh on poetry <laughs> um, it was just comedic based monologues were you, getting, you were getting laughs I was but just there's not three a minute or whatever the- right and it was very it was not stand up I mean it was like I, there was one I came out in a pig costume in a cop uniform i know i was <laughs> i was a black flag kid i was like you know pushing yeah. the whatever angsty angle that i had at the time um and then a little bit post-college i met some buddies and we we decided to start a kind of kids in the hall sketch group and i would occasionally do my version of stand-up to open that because we toured colleges for gotcha. about a year so that was from like i was like 20 to 22 and that was pretty much it um how did you get the gigs the gigs doing colleges? Well, uh, we started, we all met at SUNY New Paltz, and the SUNY system is a uh, collection of colleges gotcha. throughout New York State. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever, S- University of New York. <clears throat> I forget what the S stands for. But, um, and so we got fairly popular doing sketch stuff and improv games and crap like that um because we were very completely no training we didn't know what the concept of comedy training was oh so the training might have made you more annoyingly improv-y, absolutely but instead y'all were just doing your. we thing. were doing whatever we wanted to do and we all had a very similar kind of dark sense of humor so it was very influenced by kids in the hall and you know the sketch is like daddy drinks you know <laughs> like that type of stuff a little bit of saturday night live but not much a very spinal tap sensibilities mm-hmm. Um, and so you were doing that within the SUNY system, kind of. Well, we did we did rock clubs too. Oh. So we we didn't really do. I think we did two comedy clubs in the two years we were doing it, and they were both like, you know, come do a Tuesday, you know, like that yeah. type of thing. But yeah, we did Vassar College, and we did um, a couple of SUNY schools, and we went up and busked on the streets of Toronto. It was fun, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was cool. And myself and one of the other guys would do five minutes each of whatever we considered stand-up to open the show sometimes. I'm just thinking about y'all busking but doing improv games. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what it, like, it was as bad as it asking sounds. Asking strangers if they'll give you a suggestion. Absolutely what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, you look back and laugh and cringe at the well, same time a little bit. give us a suggestion bit. and a dollar. If you, <laughs> it was exactly yeah. what it was. Um, yeah. So that was that. And then, you know, I left college and uh, went on to do radio for several years. And then I moved to the publishing industry and I worked as an editor and writer for a a newspaper place in New York for many years. And then I moved to Austin with no job. And so that was in 2005 that Mm -hmm. you moved to Austin. And why did you move to Austin? I had been here via radio for South by Southwest a few times Mm -hmm. and liked it. and my wife and I were looking for some some place that was uh, snow free yes. and uh, lesser on the taxes because <laughs> ah. New York was killing us. And so my wife got a job offer out here uh, to be an art director for the state of Texas. And so uh, we put our house up for sale and moved three weeks later, not knowing anybody, and um, been here ever since. 
So Wow. And so you decided, how quickly did you decide to start doing stand-up once you got here? Well, it's kind of weird. I When I came here, part of the thing that I really wanted was a complete break from everything because I was promoting punk rock shows in New York and I was running a magazine called Altercation Magazine, which is where the brand started. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was internationally distributed by that point, but it was really taxing and exhausting. And so when I moved here, I'm like, I don't want to know anyone. Like I want, you know, like that an- anonymous, just complete break from everything. And uh, so I kind of did that for a little while and figured, tried to figure out what I wanted to do because uh, I didn't want to do radio anymore, really. And uh, newspaper was kind of a dying. I could see the writing on the wall that that was, you know, for better, for worse, hitting a dead end. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I got here, um, I met some friends and bands via mutual New York friends and bands. And I brought up the fact that I did comedy back in the day. And they're like, oh, you have any recordings of that or whatever? I'm like, I did. I had two CDs that I had self-released of like 15-minute sets or whatever compiled from, yeah. And stuff now, again, that I, oh, God, you know, that, you know. You ever notice that Jesus is like a zombie? You know, like the yeah. stuff back in, but in 95 I heard that joke in open like the other day. Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, you know, yeah. 20 years ago. Uh, and I said, yeah, here you go. Here's some old recordings. I dug them up because they were pestering me about it. And uh, they kind of flipped out over it. Like, dude, this is really, really good. I'm like, no, it's really not. And they're like, no, it's really, really good. And so I'm like, well, I haven't listened to these since I was 22 or whatever. So I listened to them and I was like, well, they're not good, but they're not awful. They're not as bad in my as in my head as they like, huh, huh. And so it kind of got me thinking. I'm like, I, maybe I'll try doing comedy again. I, I always liked that. That's a totally different thing that I haven't pursued. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I booked a show at Headhunters. I thought about it for a few months. Headhunters Head- is the rock venue that's gone now. It was on uh-huh. the corner of Red River and 7th, okay. I think. Red River and 8th. And uh, it was just a dive bar that did metal and yeah. punk stuff. And I was like, well, let me, I didn't go to open mics or anything. I just said, I'll just book a show for some of my rock and roll friends down here and, you know, get them to shut up and also see if I can write anything. <laughs> you yeah. know, I do good on a deadline like that. So it's like, I'll did book you, a show. Did you have to pay them? What was the deal? Mm-hmm. No, it was a straight, uh, I think I, it was, you know, after they pay the sound guy, you get the five bucks at the door or whatever. Yeah. And, and I didn't know anyone in town, so I profiled. I went on, uh, this was the time of MySpace. Mm-hmm. So I went on MySpace, and I think there was like an Austin comedy group or whatever, and I went, I'm like, all right, who are the two most punk rocky looking people? <laughs> Just profiled, and I found John Rabin. Oh, yeah, Because <laughs> he okay. looked like a social distortion song. Sure. <laughs> and some other dude who had a mohawk, and I was like, all right, I'll reach out you to don't them. remember? Uh, I don't. Re- I honestly don't remember, but I also don't want to say because there's, okay. there's a caveat to this. And so, I booked them both and uh, just sight unseen, and they both said, "Yeah, cool." And John Raven showed up, and we immediately hit it off. And I was like, "Oh, this is good. Like this guy's good." Um, and the other guy showed up, and John kind of took me aside. And I didn't like him immediately. I was like, "Ah, this guy's kind of a dick." And John pulled me aside. He's like, I don't want to say anything, man, because I know you're new to town and everything, but uh, that's the most like loathed <laughs> comedian in the scene right now. Like yeah. He's a hacky monster. I was like, fuck. And he didn't even have the mohawk by that point. It was like <laughs> gone. Yeah. He was just like, uh, whatever. Oh, the whole point of booking him was the mohawk. It, I was totally profiling and shame on me. Or mm-hmm. Is that what catfish means? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But he, he showed up and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to, you know, he's going to do the show or whatever. And he went up and did 
you know, eight minutes of whatever of hacky bullshit and then got off stage and said, thanks, man. And then immediately bounced with everyone that he brought, like, did, um, like everything. Classic. Point, but also I was like, well, good. Cause ugh. Yeah. and then Rabin went up and killed. And I was like, this guy's my favorite. And then I went up and did like 20 minutes of all new, whatever. And at that point it was still very, I don't know if you've ever listened to Rollins spoken word stuff. It's very comedic, but it's very monologue story linear. It's gotcha. not stand up beats. And so it was more in the vein of that. It was more like stories of, you know, crazy band shit or whatever. Um, and it went okay. You know, enthusiasm was there or whatever. But it kind of got the got me the bug of writing. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, well, that was fun. Let me do another one, but give myself a few months to try and hone it a little bit more. And so it just kind of spiraled from there. Like I just started, I never really went to the Velve. I never really went to Cap City. I just started booking my own kind of shows. It was no altercation brand or anything like that. And then people started coming to town that were kind of in that alt thing. And they would ask around for like, who's doing different shit. And so, uh, my name got bounced around to like Janine Garofalo and to Stanhope and people like that. And so they booked me. And so suddenly I was doing emos opening for Janine Garofalo and Rob Riggle, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. and, uh, and Stanhope hit me up and said, Hey, I need a new venue. You know of any places? And I said, yeah, I'll book it. He said, all right, you got an hour. And I booked it in 10 minutes. He said, interesting. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was booked to do 10 minutes opening for him at that show as like a thank you. And he didn't know me at all. And the other comic, the feature ran late and I was on stage, I was keeping it to tight 10 minutes, like I'm not going to overstep anything. And the feature was running late, and Doug came out and said, uh, don't you dare stop, keep going. So I ended up doing a half hour. Okay. And so that's kind of how we met and made a good impression or whatever. It was like 2007, 2008. And so you, you are booking your own shows and venues mm-hmm. periodically um, throughout this time since since Headhunters. Um but were you so and you weren't doing open mics at all no but i never did i never liked open mics anyway i had a bad impression of open mics Mm because coming from that college scene it was always like some fucking hippie with a guitar or some you know Mm -hmm. new agey poetry bullshit that i was like ugh. i had had a very low tolerance for that so it made me roll my eyes out of my brain right um and so i had an impression of and also the open mics at the time i mean in 2005 it would have been valve cap and mm -hmm. maybe one but those were comedy specific open mics and in right. new york i never went to comedy specific there was right. no club that i went to it was it was open mics at like a coffee shop so you, you didn't even really realize mm. that there were some comedy open mics i was maybe aware of them but i was like a uh just the term open mic just kind of set me off for whatever reason i was like yeah eh. and and b because i was doing kind of the more spoken wordy long form shit i was like well you get like three minutes what right. am i gonna do i don't do jokes you know right. what i mean so i was just like ah, i'm just gonna do my thing Gotcha. Um, and also in my head, I was like, well, comedy clubs aren't going to book me, you know, or it's going to be that, that thing I did in New York where I had to bring four friends, you know, I had a very, you know, yeah. I, cause I wasn't exposed to that world at all. I didn't know. What well, was that it. world was changing or was just starting, very to starting anyway. to, well, Stanhope was doing rock clubs by that point and comedians of comedy were doing their own thing. Like I saw them at emos when <laughs> it was, uh, you know, Patton and all that, that whole crew. And he was super nice. I hung out and, you know, chewed his ear a little bit at that show. But also, um, I was very disappointed because Galifianakis didn't make that show. And the two people they had to fill in were these super young green comics, uh, 
Aziz Ansari and uh, uh, Flight of the Concords. Yeah. <laughs> Which are like, oh, they were both pretty good, you know, but yeah. they were completely unknown. Um, but yeah, it was starting to kind of go that way a little bit. And so then I started thinking, I was like, well, I know comics in New York. I know, you know, from where I was from. And when I got down here, I had met Ruby Collins, who I thought was super, super funny. Um, and that was via band friends. And you should check out my friend Ruby. She's a bartender at uh, Elysium. And I went to see Ruby one time. I was like, wow, she's super, super funny. And she likes to drink. So that's two for two. That's fun. And then I did Vans Warp Tour. Vans Warp Tour, we had... Uh, Altercations record label as well. We had bands touring on Vans Warped Tour. And Kevin Lyman, who runs that, said, Hey, we're doing comedy for the first time ever. Do you want to do some dates? I said, Yep. So I got booked to do a week of shows, week or two. It was weird because I did Texas dates and then I also did some East Coast stuff. I like flew to the East Coast to see family and friends and did like Boston and stuff. And on that, I met a guy named Richie Stratton who was out of Portland, Oregon. And I also met Mac Lindsay, who at the time was living in L.A. and a feature at the Comedy Store. But Mac was from Austin originally and knew John Raven and that whole scene. Um, and Mac and I hit it off immediately. Um, just very like-minded sensibilities. Uh, Mac was doing really weird <laughs> comedy stuff that I found really intriguing. I'm like, how did you make that funny? I mean, yeah. he was doing like almost in my brain like uh cult leader shit he was having all these warp tour kids sit on the ground and like clear their brain and he was doing just really cool. avant impressive comedy and he was very generous to me on that tour and um but mag was living in la i started thinking i was like well and i also knew this guy in new york called chris cubis who i thought was very funny he used to come into the bar i used to work at and i was like well this could be a cool maybe i'd put together like my own ramones thing you know, because mm-hmm. the altercation brand between the magazine and the label was kind of established. I'm like, I used to call it the altercation comedy tour. I was like, oh, I'll throw punk into there because I want it to be like, like we're just going to do rock venues. Like, that'll be our thing. You know, it'll be like a Ramones group. And so that's what I did. So I asked Richie Stratton from the Warp Tour from Portland, Oregon, because I wanted it to be diverse. I didn't want a bunch of Austin comics. I wanted it from all over. I asked Chris from New York and I asked Ruby from Austin. And I was kind of bridging the gap between. Austin and New York at that time. And so we went out. I booked us three weeks of shows. Wow. And that's 2008? That uh, was 2008. So at di- between 2005 and 2008, it sounds like it's ramping up. But mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious, how often were you getting on stage, especially in that first year? Um, for me, it's always been like, I, I understand both sides of it because I understand comics that like I need to get up on stage they start getting that like I have to get up a few times a week or I feel rusty or they just get the Jones to do it I've never had that uh-huh. um, I approach it as I like to go out and hit it really hard for an extended period of time and then come home and switch that switch off interesting and so I also found um, that I delivered better uh, even on newer material so when I work out like now when I go out on the road and I have new stuff I'll work in new stuff on the road. Um, like, I, don't, I still don't go to mics, really. Um, but back then, it was... I would book a show because it would make me write and also deliver it more. Cause that that tightrope thing, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I just... Um, like, even when I record my specials now, I usually do one. I've never done two specials and spliced them or anything, like which is what you're supposed to do, really. Yeah. Um, but I've never done that with any of my specials. So... 
I don't know. That's just the way I've always worked. And so um, back then, you know, I'd book a show as like a warm up and run through stuff before we hit the road. <laughs> which okay. is, but I wouldn't go to work stuff out. Gotcha. Really. Which is totally, I know, the opposite to what a lot of comics do. It's really kind of yeah. a strange. Well, I mean, and we'll keep going through your whole journey here because there's mm-hmm. so much interesting stuff. But that brings me to the question of your writing process. Uh-huh. So when you're, you say you, you, you talk about writing a lot. So are you sitting down, you know, every day with a notepad and pencil? Never. How's it go? Can't do that. And I've toured with people that do that super, like Jay Whitecotton does that brilliantly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Jay has not to give away his process, but he he has notebooks and he's always, you know, cross-referencing why is this funny and how does this connect to this? And like, it's very analytical. I don't do that at all. I don't, I know comics that perform their entire act in front of a mirror because they have to get the beats down that way. I don't yeah. do that at all. I, uh, I find in the moment it, it, it makes me bring it more. So I like to keep it a little bit loose. I definitely have, um, as far as new material, I'm always worried it's going to be gone, you know, because like anybody, I guess, um, usually driving or in the shower or right before I'm ready to go to bed is when you know, I'll usually get a flash. If I'm relaxed, if I'm like right now with the festival this month, I haven't even thought about writing material because I've been so preoccupied with stuff. But after the festival, I go out for two and a half weeks of touring on the East Coast in Florida. So, you know, um, there's some there's some ideas and notepads that I'm sure after next week I'll start to be like, well, let me revisit that. And then it'll start to kind of connect, you know, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've got stuff, I've got new shit that I haven't done since the last time I was out there. So it's not like I'm going blind, but, but that, I guess, as far as a process is how it is. I'm very deadline driven. Yeah. Deadlines. So, so you really don't have time that you specifically dedicate to being like, I'm going to sit down and write. I honestly wish I could. And I've tried that Mm -hmm. because there's like when I did my last special misanthrope, my hour um after that you know after you record especially kind of exhausted i'm like oh but it's also that thing of like well if you're louis ck or or stanhope or somebody like that when you put out your new hour you retire that shit and you go about your day because mm-hmm. but that's a dedicated fan base that's going to search out and know your stuff yeah i've always approached it as well when you put out that hour you don't want to just be a parrot and be glued to that material but also so when i go out after that I want to work on new stuff, but I want it like 50, 50 or even 60, 40 where I want to showcase some of the stuff from the thing that I'm selling over here. Yeah. Cause they don't know it necessarily. Some people do. Yeah. And you might say it differently or, Oh, there's so much, different uh, angles. Yeah. there's so much stuff on that special now that is, has so many more beats and just right. nuances that I'm like, ah, oh, God, it's hard. And to if they're watch. enough of a fan that they've listened to your album and are here at the show, they're probably enough of a fan to think it, to find it interesting to be like, Oh, look at this new, Oh, he did it. Uh, this, which I found, but in my, head i'm like i can't do it totally. they've heard, you know and like that's a hump to get over as a comic largely right. even um uh like I, i've been hosting the, the monthly show because i've been home war this year and i wanted to try and challenge myself to do something local and i thought it would help me write too to come up with stuff but um from show to show i'm trying to remember like what did i do last time even new stuff like i don't want to repeat and people don't remember they, yeah. they just don't it's in your head yeah I'm, I'm kind of torn about that because it's something we talk about on this podcast fairly often is like whether or not you audio record your set and then do you actually listen no, to don't. it or do you have even a set list or do you record it after you know and i think one of the things because i've always been giving the people the advice like Oh, you know, record your set and then because because if you mostly mm-hmm. really because if you riff something that you want to figure uh-huh. out later, then you have that. Um, but also, you know, 
especially for new comics, like really yep. new comics, you probably should listen to yourself and check out how many mm-hmm. times you're saying um or whatever. Yeah, um, and also, it, it you know, the as you know, the the silence can sometimes be your most powerful thing. The, the timing and the beats are yeah. what make a bit work or not. And sometimes that's just the magic of the moment. But I don't like if you hear yourself, wow, that timed out really good. I don't even know if you can reproduce that necessarily yeah but you can be aware of it but you can go oh wow i i just listened to the last five sets and i just need to slow down in general mm-hmm. so there's that but then i think that something that what you're bringing out is actually <laughs> that maybe it's better depending on your your kind of neuroticism sure maybe it's better to not record every set list or have an audio recording and go uh, last time i was at here what did i do because maybe forget it and put it out of your head and whatever so. you feel like doing right now and whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. mixed and matched and you're if you're always writing and always experimenting then it's going to be new enough anyway mm-hmm. and how much of that audience is even going to be the same absolutely even if right it's, you know. i think so but also that's that's what works for me and there's very obviously comics approach stuff so differently i've literally never found a comic that approaches it the same way yeah you know i kind of would like to try to build uh, you're just making me think of this but like a profile it's like several different profiles mm-hmm. of types of comedians and i think there's like several variables that you'd have to put in place mm-hmm. but these people who completely write on stage people who you know really write and get everything down on yeah. paper there's people who are recording their sets and having their organized and analytical and i think i think i could probably i'm trying to figure out how many types there are <laughs> i don't know I if, it, it might be six and it might be 30 yeah I'm yeah because sure. i mean <clears throat> you have people just use local references here uh people like um Rob Gagnon or Pat Dean, who are just, they can appear, they have that kind of Robin Williams-esque thing of like, it appears very off the cuff and just brilliantly when it hits, like, God, that just was magic in front of me. That just appeared. Yeah. And I don't know what their process is as far as, is that in their, up their sleeve as far as a, they just present it well, you know? Right. Like, was that something they planned to do or was it just an in the moment thing or, um, but, you know, I can't speak to what anybody does. And again, you know, White Cotton, I know his process is very analytical, but on stage it doesn't look like that. He's not glued to a set or anything. He feels super loose and conversational and just in the moment. And then there's other comics that are like who I've met who are super socially awkward off stage and maybe a little on the spectrum even. And then they go on stage and destroy because they have that mathematical approach to things that just, you know, um, so it's very interesting. But for me, I just like to keep it a little loose and let myself play around on stage a little bit. And I find that by doing that, um, I'm pretty good at riffing. Um, and I think that comes from the radio end of things. Just kind of, I've always been comfortable talking and going with it, conversational. Yeah. Um, and I like doing story stuff. And a lot of the story stuff, you get asides out of keeping it loose in the moment, I found. Like I've gotten a lot of, like I just released a split vinyl release with Mishka Shubali and it's um, you know it's a 10 inch so it's mine's a 15 minute story about going to tour Alaska and a lot of that material like there was stuff it's a true story but funny stuff within it but a lot of that material came out from doing that story on tour and just being loose with it and letting yeah. the natural crazy shit yeah. evolve until it was fledged you know yeah it's amazing what you come up with on stage when you're loose yeah it doesn't happen if you're just barreling through a set but when you are loose Mm -hmm. it's just like oh i you naturally do that so so before you go on stage and of course it might be different different times so we can talk to that talk Mm -hmm. about that but do you tend to not have a set list i always have a set list in terms of bullet points okay so i again it's from 
promoting bands and stuff. I just I'm a punk rock band dude from back in the day. Even though I was barely in bands, I was in two bands briefly. But um, I promoted a ton of shows and I went to a ton of shows. So I always have like an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper with like one, two, three, four, five, just like a band set list, and it's mm-hmm. a topic or bullet point or whatever, just for the segue aspect of things, and it's taped to the monitor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's a very and some people I know can get mad at comics if they're looking at their notebook or and I hate the looking at the phone, phone you know, the, what else did I want to talk about? Because that's just being underprepared. You're wasting people's time, yeah. I, I but having a set list to me is just like like a band. You know, I wouldn't expect to go see a band headlining ACL and have them just not have a set list of like what songs next just to yeah. keep it all in their head. And so for me, um, to have a set list that's not cheating or anything to me that's just tr- honestly being more pro than anything um because i don't want to have a, a a brain freeze moment and just forget where i am and go uh you know right so that way you have a set list but you feel complete freedom to go off the rails and do any way you i want. think 15 percent of my shows i actually stick to the set list right but it's always there it's always case, there and right. i can wrap back into yeah know, that strikes me as a pretty good balance of professionalism and you then do, being yeah being able to be loose and do what you want to do mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's that's something that when i went on tour last year i found is that it's like okay you can kind of have a set list and you probably should have some ideas about openers and closers mm-hmm. um yeah for sure but you can't really especially when you're going to venues all the time that you've never been to before mm-hmm. you can't really fully have a plan but having some idea especially of closers Absolutely. that you can jump to yeah that'll yeah. save you yeah you should for sure have a closer but also i tell this to new comics a lot don't be married to your set list right if you if you get a pop applause break laugh get the fuck, fuck off. off exactly oh that my was your god, closer yes. thank god oh so many times they'll be like uh, i'll be screaming it's like get off yeah. man what are, you you, what are you doing don't keep going um but well having you've been on tour i a thing about being a touring comic too is that audiences are very non-specific i mean even geographically i guess you can kind of like a like a texas crowd is different from a chicago crowd is different from a boston crowd but you need to be able to adjust to what the room read yeah. is if you go in there just glued to what you want to do you're doing a disservice yeah. to what your job is you know and so i'll go in there my set list will reflect what i want to ideally do right but very rarely <laughs> Yeah. You know, if it's if it's a button down kind of uptight crowd, I'm not going to talk about uh, what a kid getting eaten at Disney World <laughs> by an alligator know, necessarily right. <laughs> uh, or whatever. Um, whereas if I'm in Alaska and it's the new Wild West and I want to tell a story about mushrooms, by all means, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, I think typically what what I will do is have a plan A set list in, uh, in my head if I'm going, you know, going on stage at night. Just a general thing of like, oh, I'll probably tell these jokes. And then when I get there, a lot of times it's like, mm-hmm. well, never mind. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I might jot down a little bit of a like okay, here's what's mm-hmm. probably going to happen. Especially just last night, I mean, I was at a show that is, sometimes there's a good audience and sometimes there's no audience. Uh-huh. And it's just the comics and the bartenders. And that's what happened last night. And so it became like, well, obviously, I'm only doing new material. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I can still do a bullet point of like, okay, the retarded kid in cartoon class and LARPing <laughs> and then, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you write set lists or like do you... 
You know, I I, I like to, I, I keep going back and forth and I think pushing the pendulum a little bit of, mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm too prepared, too unprepared. Um, so I think that's that's my preferred way at this point is like have that set list, mm-hmm. but then not be married to it, mm-hmm. you know? I think that's the best middle ground. Yeah. Unless you're, obviously if you're taping a special, you want to have that sharpened. Right. Well, and then there's the thing that then it's hard because so much of my stage time, I think you're similar, is is sh- you know, having a little bit more stage time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really like doing three and four minute sets that often. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm doing most of the time, I have at least 10 minutes, if not 12, yes. 15, 20, whatever, then, and I, I like being looser. I like doing crowd work. I mm-hmm. like riffing. And but the problem is then sometimes periodically you have these things where you have to do a tight six or seven. Sure. And then it's at that point where I go, okay, now how do I make sure to be prepared for this in a way that isn't going to wind up making me stilted or weird? Like the contest or something like that? Like like FPIA or like I have some shows in L.A. coming up and I want to make sure I fucking kill it. Yep. And so like my first show there um, is is a seven minute set and I want to be like you know you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean and you're like yeah. okay so do i those aren't the shows to crowd work <laughs> those aren't the shows to crowd work but i still want to be open to that sure. because i want to be open to showcase but yeah with seven minutes there's not it's too hard. much wiggle room of like mm-hmm. going crazy off of off of the plan yeah but again you you know enough by this point. how many years are you three and a half yeah so you you know that you can read you won't know till that night. Right. You, you won't know. And that's why you have the plan A mm-hmm. beforehand. And then you get there and you go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do that. <laughs> Absolutely. About yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And There's there, no right or wrong. There, yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's the best thing. It's kind of like have a plan, but be able to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. Even if just in life in general is is probably. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the thing about stand up that's so great. And so what I love about it and why, you know, for me the live show is the end all and be all of it. It's what I like to do is that you get those weird, not to sound corny, but those magic moments of like, you know, where, uh, not dealing with a heckler or something like that, but just something where something spontaneous happens or, you know, a yeah. riff happens that just, you know, or somebody walks in the door at an right. opportune time. Sometimes and it, just, it is a heckler even. Sometimes, you know. Not it, to encourage it, but no. but every now and then someone, or it's crowd work. Let's right. just say something from the audience that's an unexpected moment. Yeah, or walking in or walking out right. leads to something. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, those are the things that make it like, you know, communal and just like what's so great about the live setting you know? yeah yeah no i mean that's my favorite not to get all hippie with it but you know no but that is <laughs> um okay here's some more things that i wanted to ask mm-hmm. about you had a book called the altercation archive yes. 2012 what is that book that book i will give you a copy of it it is oh, um you. the altercation archives is basically around 2011 my wife and I decided that uh, we had gotten ripped off by a second. Our, our first national distributor went bankrupt, owing us money. We found a new distributor, and then they had owed us money for like three issues, and we kept sending them issues. And print was super expensive. Gas was through the roof at the time. And the nicer we got the magazine, the more glossy we got it, the heavier it was, the more gas it cost, the more expensive it was. And so we were selling very well for even considering print was in a rough spot. Um, and so this last distribution company owed us a couple thousand dollars. And I said to them, finally, I'm not sending you another issue. Do you send us some money? It's been two years or whatever. And they said, okay. And they sent us a check for 36 bucks. They just subtracted all this 
hmm. bullshit and chargebacks and whatever. And I said, that's it. I'm done. I just can't. And my wife was in grad school getting her master's at the time. The comedy was starting to steamroll for me. And at the time, also, I was doing a day job at marketing. And so we, we both just said, we're, I think we've said everything we need to say. And so we decided to put a, an endpoint on the magazine. And I said, well, there's still some articles or interviews that haven't seen the light of day that I think are good. We had an interview with uh, Against Me with uh well tom gable uh, like two weeks before he came out as lauren jane grace and i was just like this is substantial like this is right before you know um and some other interviews and some people had died since then an interview with lux interior from the cramps and you know jay retard and all these people that were dead now you know and so basically i said i'm gonna write a book and compile like the the most interesting sit downs that we did throughout the decade plus of doing the magazine and also write new intros to each one and kind of give some backstory. And so that's what I did. And so we put out the book as like a, not a Kickstarter thing, but like a pre-order. It's just so we could afford it, like pre-order the book and then you'll get the book. And so we just did 200 copies or something. Cool. And then after that, I started touring with Mishka Shubali, who's like a best-selling Amazon author. And he really liked the book. And I said, well, it's out of print because I can't afford to print more. And he hooked me up with an Amazon distro deal. And so now the book is back in print with a second printing and readily available on Amazon and at my shows. So that's what the book is. And I'm currently writing a new book. Yeah. It's coming out next year, right? Yes. It's a novel. It's a, well, yeah, it's, it's a, it's the three, it's tour journals of comedy from when starting from the year that I went full time. So which year did you go full time by the way? 2014 so i'm coming up on three years of full time so what job did you have that you quit i did uh sounds super boring i did uh say marketing i guess is the big grand banner but i did content providing i did a lot of writing seo specific writing for google search results for Mm -hmm. big i I don't want to say the companies but they're two big dot coms nationally known dot coms and so i worked for them they had an austin office with about 15 people mm-hmm. and my boss was great he was about my age actually a little younger i think and but he had done like horror films and stuff like that in college and really understood cool austin guy cool austin guy um still friends um but he understood what i was doing and that it wasn't just a hobby and that That's was awesome. serious for me and so when it started they were very flexible as far as me being able to work remotely when i needed to go on the road or use vacation time or whatever hey please hire me by the way well I don't know part I... of the reason i left is they got usurped by a big corporate oh, other mind. company <laughs> and suddenly uh everything was on a time clock and there was no more working remote gotcha. and uh wouldn't it be cool if we all wore these uniforms and i said ah. eh, this is but it also intersected with a time where a lot of comics I look up to were saying, you should just go do this. It's time to jump. So it was all meant to be. I guess. It's a lot of work. It's scary. I mean, that job was the most money I'd ever made as far yes. as like an adult. So you were making decent money. It's good money. Good but money. Good for money for me. You know, like I, it was the most money I'd ever, I'd ever made. I mean, compared to people that, you know, went out of college and got a career. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, that's reasonable. Yeah. You know, to me, it was good money. But I was so bored. Yeah. And it wasn't a hard job. But I was so bored and was getting more constricted. It was really a, a do or die point of like, are you going to be a comic or are you going to be a marketing guy that occasionally does comedy? Right. And I says, oh, fuck it. I'm going to, you know, yeah. uh, I'm going to go. 
And so, um, shout out to your wife for yes, supporting you. Yes, she's great. Um, but also, it was the type of thing. It wasn't like we were going to risk losing the house or something. You know, because yes. I you did have a house at this point. Yes, we did. Nice, we do. Um, don't have kids because that to me, I don't know how people have kids and then go like on the road um, for as much as I went on the that. road. Don't uh, say yeah. that. Why? No yeah. kids? Um, no, but we are going to. Okay, and cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just say it's hard. Well, I it mean, will be hard. Yeah. People do it. It's not like it hasn't been done. No, it's done often. Yeah. But for me, I was like... It is going to be It was hard for me hard. to lose, leave my wife and dog. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's difficult. But um, I was like, well, if I'm going to go be a comic, I'm going to be a fucking comic and I'm going to book myself to death. And that's what I did. So right away... Um, losing all of that income from your stable job. <laughs> I mean, can you can you give us an idea of how much you made uh, like that the following well, year doing comedy? It was the type of thing. At that point, I was I was known to some festival circuits, um, and festivals pay decently. And also, I it was a big shift because I I've never been a guy to buy stuff. You know, I don't. We share a car, you know, and I used to buy like action figures and ridiculous you know man child shit like that and i would mainly got, buy like concert tickets and books and had you records. also saved up some money um the last two paychecks i just saw <laughs> i bought really good podcast gear and um all of my plane tickets for the year before i left gotcha and so um by that point too it was established enough that you know, I could ask for a, a reasonable guarantee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a big shift from what I was making. Yeah, doing, but you're like, I'll just spend less gig. money. I'll just spend less money. And I was fine with that. I was like, I'd rather have the currency of my time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and being able to say yes to a three-week tour or, yeah. you know. Um, and there was a lot of stuff in that in-between periods of, of near misses is a weird term, but like, um, you know, I've. I shot two pilots during that time period, and I was in talks with uh, Vice for a little bit about a, a, an idea. And, you know, none of them really launched, but I was like, all right, well, I can still just keep doing stand-up, and that's just yeah. kind of been what's up. And, um, you know, I, by that point, I had signed a stand-up record, so I had a little bit of added uh, currency, I guess. How did you get signed with stand-up records? That's a funny story. I... um so it's South by Southwest one year. I think this is 2011. And Stanhope was in town doing a one-time podcast. This is before he was even doing his podcast. It was like an invite-only kind of thing. And so I went to that because I knew Doug a little bit. And, you know, fly on the wall, hung out and watched that and laughed and then said, what's up? And went about my day. And I was carrying some vinyl. And as I'm walking, going out the elevator, um, this guy next to me says, where'd you get that vinyl? I'm like, oh, I was at this other comedy thing and bought it. It's like, interesting, cool. Uh, I run a label. It's like, what label? He's like, stand-up records. I'm like, really? Are you Dan? Because I had heard of Dan because he had put out Lewis Black and Doug's stuff and, you know, Mark Marin, a lot of people by that point. <clears throat> he said, yeah, who are you? I said, I'm JT. I run this altercation thing. He's, he's like, I've, okay. He's like, you and Mac Lindsay are two Austin people that I've been meaning to check out on the down low or whatever. So we started talking, blah, 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 cool. And that was that. It was just kind of a nice meet. So the next year south by he came through town and he was hanging out with lucas melandas and a lot of people and you know we had met by that point so we had some drinks and just shot the shit and i was having an altercation showcase at the cold town theater that i had booked mm-hmm. with mac Lindsay and i think mike weeby was on that at that point and i don't remember who else maybe jake flores 
On the album? No, this was just no. a, a show, a South by show, unofficial gotcha. altercation showcase we booked. And it was a packed show, and it was bedlam. We, uh, <laughs> Mac got into it with some like crust punks up front who tried to storm the stage, and fists were ready to be thrown. I had to get up on stage in between them, and it was just this, it was a great show. The show was electric, you know? It's just one of those moments. And I didn't even know Dan was there. Yeah. And after the show, he was like, that was some shit. Yeah. I'd like to work with you. I'm like, awesome. And then somebody ran out and said, they're punching on your car, JT. And I had to run to the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I came back and they, Dan was gone. I was like, well, I just blew that. Shit. But fortunately, Joe Stats was there. Joe was on the show and Joe gave him my number. And Dan hit me up a few days later and said, let's do an album. And he said, let's do it as an altercate. I want to sign just you. Uh, to the paperwork but i want you to pick some people obviously mac because he was, he was interested in mac at that time but mac wasn't really touring at that time he had scaled back from comedy and um so i got mike weeby and joe stats and you know we did it as an altercation comedy tour album yeah which we recorded at the new movement and so that was the first thing i signed him and it was just a one-off deal it was like a test the waters deal and um that was cool we got good response and kind of critical acclaim i guess um but it was listed under when you do an album like that it's listed under various artists as far as charting and stuff so it didn't make much of an impact as far as that stuff because it was you know various artists is a very different category than releasing your own record yeah and uh dan and i just kind of worked well together and so we you know i said you know he his deals with me have been very generous and very artist first, you know? Um, and yeah, he's been great to deal with. Um, and so, yeah, after that, he said, well, let's put out a solo thing from you. And so I put out my hour with him as like a, you know, filmed special. Yeah. And then this last thing was the split with Mishka, which came out this month. Nice. So, so misanthrope was yeah. was filmed. I didn't realize. Um, so where can people see that? That is um, well, we did. It's the package is a DVD and the audio, mm-hmm. and the audio is a little bit, maybe a little bit of extra stuff in there. I don't know. The video though was filmed up at uh, Rock Club Three Links up in Dallas, hmm. and so that was my you know most recent hour. That was 2016 that that came out, and um, it's streaming on. Uh, Stand Up Records has their own Roku channel. So -hmm. it's streaming on that. And it's on, you know, a lot of the bits of it are on like today's comedy radio and whatever. Cool. Maybe serious. I don't know. But um, uh, the new thing, the split with Mishka is just a limited vinyl release. Can you talk at all about how much money you've made from each or some of these, some of these The albums? Yeah. Well, I mean... I think part of the reason Dan and I work well together is that I run a, a punk rock label as well. And I have a business partner in New York that runs that with me named Travis Myers. And so I'm very aware of the realities of the recording industry and what's, you know, what. So uh, every deal also is different. So I don't want to get too specifics into my terms with Dan because sure, I don't know what he offers to other people. And yeah. You know, if you're a Hannibal Burris, I'm sure it's a very different, established, established product. Right. I mean, I definitely have a degree of fan base by this point, but that's just from touring, mm-hmm. you know. Um, for me, the deal has been very, very fair, is all I could say in terms of the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, like right now, I'm technically a free agent. He hasn't locked me into any sort of web of, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
owning my shit. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. So he doesn't own your jokes because mm, of them. Well, the, I for like the misanthrope stuff. I couldn't re- really release that again, mm-hmm. and I, nor would I want to. Right. Though. You know that was a that that's a thing. Um, there's an exclusivity clause to a degree, but I'm like I wouldn't. What am I gonna? You know. Right. Even if like say I don't. I mean, even Comedy Central now isn't what Comedy Central used to be. But for an example, if Comedy Central said, hey, here, come do a half hour, and that'll be a lot of eyeballs, I would be very inclined to do that. And there might be a temptation there to use some established material. But also, I mean, that was 2016. I'm like, if I'm doing stuff from two years ago, it's kind right. of weak. I, don't, I just, right. it, I don't know. As a comic, it feels kind of feels like by the time you get that lame. call, you should have another thirty minutes, at least or another an twenty five. Yeah. You know what I mean? With commercials, like those are really like twenty two minute specials. Like I, I should be able to have a new. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, but I mean, nickels and dimes. It's it's the type of thing. Also, Dan has helped me with like merch occasionally because I sell mm-hmm. a lot of t shirts and stuff on the road. If I get uh, a new batch t shirts, he'll be like, oh, you know. He'll, he'll just PayPal me money for that. You know, like nice intangibles. Nice. Um, you know, as far as the, the sales of the album, I've, I've, you know, paid some bills with it. Yeah. But for okay. me, the road is where I make money. Yeah. Now, real quick, I looked at your website and mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. So you have the vinyls for sale mm-hmm. um, and DVDs, but also flasks <laughs> yeah. and, and not only shirts, but work shirts, which I thought it was, that's a great idea is to make it kind yeah. of interesting mm-hmm. instead of it just being a generic t-shirt. Yeah. Um, uh, I Every time I do a, a shirt, a t-shirt also, I make sure it's a new design mm-hmm. so that, I mean, it's. Again, that's from the the band thing is that, you know, every time I'd go see my favorite bands back in the day, whether it didn't matter if it was, you know, John Spencer Blues Explosion or Slitter Kinney or Iggy Pop, they always have new different merch stuff. And like band like the Melvins, you know, I love the Melvins because they're so, well, they're a great band, but they're so endlessly creative in that every time I see them, they have some new weird, bizarre shit, you know, uh, whether it be poster art, which I'm a big fan of poster art stuff, or just... You know, in a, a frisbee, like what the yeah. fuck? You know, not to make it to the point of your kiss and just gross, you right. know, or even the misfits. Like I'm not gonna. There's not gonna be any baby onesies or anything. Right, or but a lunch flask box. makes sense. But a flask for my brand makes yeah. sense, you know. And they sold instantly. Um, and to me, that stuff is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan made uh, at Stand Up Records made um, like a denim jacket embroidered pin of. Uh, the cover art for misanthrope, which is my skull with my nerd Indian nerd glasses on. Mm-hmm. And you know, those went gone. Yeah. You know, he made like a hundred of them as a limited thing. And yeah. just, you know, I gave away a bunch to people of influence and friends, but, yeah. but they, you know, shoot. So neat stuff like that. I think it's, it's just kind of cool. And it, it adds a, I mean, I want the material to stand on its own, but it adds a legitimacy to what you're doing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does add a legitimacy. You know, it feels like a real thing. Somebody, whether it's you or not, somebody invested yes. into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And when you're making money on through touring, mm-hmm. um, how what percentage would you say you're actually making through merch? A lot. Yeah. I mean, merch can be... But again, it's also... I see young comics... <laughs> a lot of times young comics will be like, wow, you have a, a cool fan base... And uh, you get to do cool venues and people will usually show up to some degree. I'm not saying I get big numbers, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, enough that it's sustainable and cool and fun. How do I get that? I said, well, you need to slug it out for nine years. Yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> and I mean, those first altercation tours were brutal. You know, 
I mean, if you talk to Cubas, ask him about some of those early altercation tours. We were, we ate dirt. You know, it was hard, yeah. mental breakdown, hard. Um, and but uh, part of it is just sticking with it, and and part of it is just seeing the again not to be gross but i come from a marketing background and the the there's a value in branding you know um and i know who i want my audience to be larger in terms of the scope of people i've been very aware of that since miss thrift came out too like i'm trying to be it's it's i see it as a challenge to be like i want 50 year old couples to like my stuff and not just the kid in the misfit shirt you know what i mean so i've been very aware of that but um as far as like an aesthetic that runs through my material and, and people who come to see me for the most part, I can kind of gauge by this point what merch they're going to like. Mm-hmm. Um, and a game changer was having like credit card, like Square, the credit card swiper, yeah. night and day. Totally. And so there's times, um, you know, when Mishka Shubali and I go on tour, we both, our games, our, our merch game is both pretty strong. And uh, there'll be times where our merch sales will easily outshine our guarantee for the night. You yeah. Know? I don't know how comics tour and don't have merch. <laughs> well, here's a question about that then. Do you usually have someone um, else man the merch table or do you do it yourself? I do it myself. How do you get through the problem of like, because I found, and I mean, mm-hmm. I think I was doing this on a much smaller scale and, and you know, m- much newer. Yeah, but sure. Like, but trying to sell merch, it always just felt like, and now it's awkward for people to even come up to me and say, hey, good set, because they're like, oh, I got to pass her by the merch table. Uh-huh. Or, and, and it would depend, too, on the venue and whether it was, sure. there was a good way to set it up mm-hmm. or it was just inherently awkward. It's important. Yeah. There's a lot of intangibles in terms of, like, if it's a completely dark room and it's in the corner, you know, like, tra- I travel with, like, little spotlights and stuff, because if gotcha. I can't see it, there's a lot of feng shui yeah <laughs> do, would you take a table with you Mm-mm. okay no, so i use whatever's there table wise because i usually fly yep. into places so it's hard yeah um and i can't always bring vinyl just because of that you know if i'm flying yeah. on a cheapo airline and i have mm-hmm. a backpack shirts not gonna do that dvds <laughs> only you know um but i mean march is super important but also on the flip side you know again to younger comics i say don't uh build up your act before you get the merch too because sometimes yeah. you see it's exciting to have a t-shirt and you know um it, it feels like a neat cool thing but you don't want to print 50 t-shirts don't pay for that. <laughs> and then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know on white you know like yeah. there's a lot of aesthetic stuff too that like oh that's that's cool but no one's buying that shirt i can tell you right now yeah you know um yeah so i don't know i'm, I'm kind of in a unique place more so because I do the the rock club, I do a lot of comedy clubs now too. But it's just the the people, brand is out a little bit, I guess. Well, I think at rock clubs too, people are used to the idea that always mm-hmm. musicians always have merch tables. Absolutely. Whereas I think for comedians, it's something that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. Some Typically, people are too it's, cool for it. Hey, I've got a CD after the show, and yeah. that's it. You know. Yeah. So I think, and I think that. Um, you, I, I'm sure I've seen you do this, but mentioning the merch on stage in a way that is not um, gross, but not gross, but you have to kind of reminder. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's well, it's the type of thing. Do you want to make money? You know, right. and a lot. Of, I also because I do so many one nighters, I'm hitting these cities for once, maybe twice a year, typically. Yeah, and so buy it now or don't. I mean, you know, right? <laughs> you know, it's um, but it's it adds up quick and it's usually cash and you know yeah. it's it's a big deal. It can yeah. So is it, so this is the kind of thing where typically let's say let's say you're doing a half hour set, mm-hmm. 
you have been doing well mm-hmm. for 25 minutes and then you say hey guys um you know just so y'all know i do have some t-shirts and blah 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 for sales so if you want to i don't do that i uh i do it if i mention it i do it at the end when i'm saying goodbye okay so thanks so much for coming got some stuff in the back okay yeah because i'd seen some people do it where they they'll do you know most of the material do the merch thing mm-hmm. and then do the closer and then get off. No way. Uh, neither way is wrong. Like mm-hmm. Mishka Shibali does it that way. Uh-huh. He has a, a spiel of, I'm basically a door to door t-shirt salesman. Thanks yeah. for coming. You and, throw some jokes in. With, right. Yeah. Uh, and I've also seen uh, like Ron Babcock who's coming in next week. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, Ron is like the most likable dude in the world on stage. And he does a bit where he like, I think he actually opened a suitcase and he's like, and I've got all this and it's, it's yeah. charming and funny and very endearing. Um, me as like the the kind of punk rock branding the 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 aspect of consumerism can sometimes be a a a bummer especially back when i was first starting and so i just kind of i mention it Mm -hmm. but i don't really bring it up and then go back into material i do it as a thanks so much for coming it's back over there Uh, okay and then i go there yeah yeah you (laughs) You know what i mean yeah so you closer Mm -hmm. and then you're like thanks so much guys i've got some stuff for sale if you want to see me up there just Mm -hmm. tell me out of good set and another secret i'll let you know a secret Thank you. This is some serious uh, wizardry. Mm-hmm. If you give away something for free, yeah, people okay. will come to the merch table and talk to you and not feel weird about it and may buy something. Yes. Not to be a gross fisherman, because uh, I'm cool if they don't buy something, but yeah. I always have stickers or buttons or something. Yeah. Just to say, because sometimes people will be like, oh, that looks cool from over there. But, but I don't, don't want to get the awkwardness. Just come yeah. get a sticker. Come talk to me. Come say hi. Because totally. that's how you also build uh fan base and community yeah like oh he was that was a good set but he also wasn't a dick afterwards he's right so i can't stand comics that hide in the green room right <laughs> i mean i get it you want to get your head together i get it to a degree right but the people that just on state disappear the whole like, the whole thing fucking, for yeah no that's part, part of your job. part of your job is to shake those hands you know right okay cool 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 all right well let's see here um oh goals what are what <laughs> do you your... see myself in five years yeah <laughs> this year has been real weird because um <clears throat> the previous years i was doing like 140 shows a year was like the average which was a lot and i was starting to feel the physicality of like the shows were good generally sometimes you get ripped off some are bummers but mostly it was fine but i was getting tired you know because i'm in my 40s now and just like the physicality of traveling and all that and so this year, I'm like, I'm going to scale back a little bit. I'm going to write this book. Uh, my wife is going out on a big summer-long epic trip with her mom and sister RVing around the country. I'm like, that'll be good. I'll stay home with the cats and be, uh, you know, Jack Torrance from Steven- <laughs> from The Shining and just kind of lock myself down and see what that'd be home for a little bit. And that was good and bad. Um, it was good in that it did give me a little bit of a break, but it also made me a little almost too relaxed, I guess, because it's hard to write when there's no strife. And Mm. I was very just like, oh, this is great. I'm home. I can write. I can chill with my cats and read a book. And uh, so doesn't exactly lend itself to let's write some angsty. (laughs) There wasn't much spark there for, you know, not that all my stuff comes from being pissed off, but, you know, angst is good for comedy. Yeah. And so it's been a weird, and also early on, I said yes to way more stuff than I was planning to say yes to because things just kind of came about. And um, so this year has been weird. It's like I haven't been on the road really since May, 
or June around then, mm-hmm. you know, which is part of the reason I book, started doing the monthly thing. Yeah. And I had the festival coming up, so I've been busy. But, um, you know, after the fest, I go out and do Florida and the East Coast and then some festival stuff and kind of get back on that horse and back into the the range of, of doing stuff. So, I mean, as far as future stuff, I don't know. I If I can just keep, well, I want to get this book out. That's yeah. for sure. I'm about 75 pages in. So I'm more or less halfway there, I think, on what I want it to be. Because there's going to be one massive book. And a couple of people said, that's dumb. Why don't you break it up into half and half, into two years and two years, and then you get two books. I'm like, there that you makes go. made more sense. So I'm going to do that. Um, but that's hard. You know, it's, I can't, much like comedy, I, I can't just sit down and write when I feel like I'm going to block out noon to one, to, you know. So I'll write at night when I get inspired to write. And this month I haven't written at all because I've been concentrating on fest and stuff. Um, but as far as, I don't know, it's, I don't, if you asked me a year ago, I would have been like, well, I want to do the, you know, get misanthrope out and then I want to work on a new hour and the next special and da, da, da. right now I didn't expect to release this vinyl thing with Mishka. And so that's a big 15 minute chunk of stuff that instantly was like, well, there goes that that's out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy with it, but I didn't expect to release anything. And so it's been two years of releases and yeah. with the book out in the spring, I'm like, all right, I think next year I'm going to take a breather from releasing shit yeah <laughs> i think that's enough i think you know a one hour special and a vinyl thing and a book within two yeah, years things is are enough. going well it's yeah. cool um and uh i'm going to europe in uh. may i was supposed to go to europe this month and the festival got canceled due to crazy ass rain hmm. uh, so that was like 36 hours before we were flying so that was a real bummer uh. but it happens and they're rescheduling supposedly for may so silver lining is hopefully i'll get to do more time because i've never been to the uk before to do shows cool so that's an exciting challenge like i'm real curious to see how my totally american wise assery will go over there um so looking forward to that i just like to go new places just keep it from getting boring totally you know if i can just keep up like there's no sitcom goals or anything like that i mean obviously exposure is good like i'd like to get a little more national whether that means tv or what um because you see the power of like an at midnight or anything any of those things are shrinking yeah but you can see how that can open you to a new it's not guaranteed work but it just oh a lot of eyes suddenly you know that type of thing so i'd be happy to get a little bit more of that but i'm pretty content right now as far as the, the the career you know yeah all right well so some more questions mm-hmm. about how how you do all this then how did you start the altercation festival that was um something that people had told me i should do for years and i said nah because i do have a knack for organization and mm-hmm. promoting like uh, that's that's kind of where i started with shows in new york and stuff comedy aside and so because i had put on like one day punk festivals and stuff and went okay um but i i was like i could probably do that but i want it to be it's very hard to find a specific date in austin that works because i didn't want anywhere near moon tower i didn't want it to be some sort of gross competing thing or um and then you have like you know i know it's very improv heavy and stuff but the out of bounds festival in town here and then you have hell yes fest which is in october in new orleans but shares a lot of yeah new movement Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also the venue had to be very specific. I'm like, I don't want to just do it in a rock venue. I don't want it to necessarily be a comedy club because then it's just 
like an extended comedy show. It doesn't yeah. feel like a festival. You know what I mean? And then um, two years ago, my buddy Dave Rodriguez from the Crumb Bombs was doing a benefit for the uh, the Florida nightclub shooting and said, can you come down and do a set? Said, Absolutely. Where is it? This place, Kickbuck Coffee. I'm like, where? Off airport. I'm like, okay. So I found it. I walked in. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is ideal. Stage is big. They have chairs. Sound is really good. They already like love comedy. They like comedy. I met the promoters that night, like the guys who book stuff, and I was like, "These are cool dudes. Like these are these guys get what's up." Great green room. The setup was just perfect. Serves booze because I was expecting a coffee shop. Yeah. You know, not in Austin, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, "This is got legs. This is something that could be cool." And I started talking to them more and more, and I said, "All right." Started looking at dates. Said, oh. I could do it at the end of September. It's not hot. It's not competing with South by and moon tower and all that stuff. It's could work. It overlaps a little bit with ACL, but that doesn't really bother me, but that's why I didn't have a Saturday show last year. I just did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, uh, and then I put out feelers to some of my friends who are like headliners and said, would you be interested in doing this? I could only pay you this because it's, you know, you'd be doing me a favor. You'd get paid, but I can only get you a flight and a good time. And this, and uh because they're rad they said yes for the most part so mm-hmm. i got like chad daniels and christine levine and mishka and you know mo alexander and Kristen becker and a lot of these headliners that i worked with on the road <clears throat> that came in because the first year was super hard um to just conceptualize <laughs> uh and it ended up being like a break-even proposition it worked out fine and everybody had a really good time and i was pretty stoked on it um and so this year I wanted to. I want it real organic again to sound like a hippie, but I want it to not grow too fast. I want it to be experience first and money making second, which is probably dumb of me, but that's <laughs> really how I want it. I want it to be really good for people attending it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so this year, I said, "All right, well, I think I could do it a little bit bigger because I know that it worked the first time." And so I started planning a little bit earlier and cast a wide net out to some friends again with more budget but still mm-hmm. not what they could get and so uh you know canane and buddies like that said yes and so i think the lineup's pretty strong this year yeah um so that's how that happened and it's just and it also sponsors like stand up records and deep deep eddie vodka have been huge as far as like not giving any sort of weird corporate strings attached to it they just like help me because yeah. they get it and uh so you talk to sponsors, uh-huh. you pay comics what you can or, mm-hmm. or fly them out and whatever, um, and and then fill it with local comics. And then you've just got to do stuff like making lanyards and <laughs> all that stuff. Yes. Shitload of posters. Ordering banners. Yesterday I was running around hanging posters all over South Congress and East Fifth and mm-hmm. everywhere um, doing radio. I'm on KUTX this Saturday, you know, for an hour. Um, but that's all, you know, it sounds laborious, but it's, it's fun stuff. It's not like it's, you know, a punch the clock job. It's, it's easy to do when you're passionate about it and want it to be good, you know? Um, and you know, it's kick butt coffee. You've been there. Do people need lanyards? Probably not. Yeah. But if you're coming in and I try to I really having hit the road so much, I really see a lot of younger comics that I think are good and have that thing that like this might be their first festival experience and i want them to have that thing yeah. around their neck you know that to me that that stuff is important um because it again it legitimizes it 
to a degree in, in people's brains. And also it's important for those comics. I think it's a very good um, confidence builder. Yeah. For comics that may never have done a festival before. Tell our listeners um, a little bit first about what the festival is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell them a little bit about what it's like to be on the festival. If that makes sense. Uh, sure. Well, uh, as far as what it's like, it's I I really wanted to do it, do a festival that was intimate and all the best parts of a comedy club without any of the gross parts of a comedy club. So there's no two drink minimum stuff. There's no comics performing that are on there for reasons other than I think they're funny. Hmm. Um, It's real important to me to have the lineup diverse Mm -hmm. in terms of both stylistically and just point of view. Yeah. Um, I don't want a sausage fest festival. I see those a lot. And really guys, you know, uh, I don't want, uh, I also took the punk part off Although of it for the festival. Although they called it the Sausage Festival. Maybe. Then, then if you're going to brand it that way, yeah. okay. I mean, there's women festivals, you know, I, yeah. I guess. But um, I took the punk part off of the festival specifically because I didn't want people to think that it was going to be all just mohawk or edgy or whatever that means to people. Yeah. Um, there's a degree of that. There's always going to be a degree of that because it's me. But, yeah. um, I, you know, Ron Babcock is not that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, um, and so, uh, it's very diverse, all funny. Um, and a lot of people that I think in two or three years, you're going to be like, Oh wow, Mm -hmm. that person, you know, I saw them at kick butt Mm -hmm. for, and, and and this is, uh, the dates are September 27th through the 30th. It's four nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, It's Friday, Saturday. It's, uh, it breaks down to like eight 50 per day. Mm hmm. Um, it's 35 bucks for a full four night pass. And, um, and can people buy single show or single day? I'm waiting to see. I'm not sure. Uh, right now we're just doing festival passes. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are about 10 away from being sold out. Okay. So if that's the case, I might sell some nightly cash only at the door thing. Cause also, I mean, Canaan, it, the place holds 200 people. He doesn't, he does bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's a chance to see a mixture of people that do bigger places in more in, intimate. in an intimate place yeah. so that it's really it's very cool for comedy yeah i mean you know and, and the the performers like that too you know yeah. it's if i can make it work financially and like i know kyle's gonna love it yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean i know he's gonna um and so but it's a lot to juggle it's a lot of you know budgets and all that adult shit um yeah but it, the goal is to make it a the best experience for everybody mm-hmm. um and i you know uh, it's at the point now where you know people that rep like chris rock and seinfeld contacted me and said how can we get some of our roster on there and i said well you really can't hmm. and that kind of blew their shit <laughs> like what what do you mean what yeah i'm like you're too big i don't want it to be that big this early and i don't want to pay ten thousand dollars to get one person right in here i don't that's not what this is yeah. that's not what this is you know maybe will it get to that point maybe you know um i also very specifically didn't take uh applications or fees from comics thank you for that Mm -hmm. not that there's anything wrong with that i think sometimes you have to so i think the the financial realities putting on a festival are very steep there's a lot of money that you need to put on a festival and that's not just paying headliners or whatever it's making lanyards and banners and all that shit is expensive um but I, I, I'm like, uh, I wanted to curate it 
mm-hmm. um, and not feel weird about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, hey, I want you to do my festival, but can you pay me $35? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I mean, you know, I know like Hell Yes does it and a lot of fe- a lot of festivals do it. I think Bridgetown does it even. Um, Limestone. But um, there's nothing wrong with it and it's a good way to have startup capital. Yeah. But for me, I said I'm going to rather do some footwork and try and get sponsors attached to make up that difference rather than have young comics pay me 20 bucks. Yeah, I was just thinking for for some of the shows that I run in town, I can just tell comics at open mics, "Hey, if you pay me $10, mm-hmm. send me a tape, I will consider you." <laughs> yeah. For doing a show. Yeah. But also, I mean, I understand it too because it is a credit. It's a way yeah. to get a credit and it's 20 bucks for an investment in yourself to maybe get a credit and right. a, that's not a bad investment yeah but totally. um but if you don't have to do it that is honorable I very specifically you're... didn't want to do that for the first couple of years especially i'm yeah. never i'm not saying i'll never do it because right. if it grows proportionately you know yeah you might maybe yeah, it might make sense too maybe um but for the first few years it was very important for me to, to curate it completely and like cool. you get invited or you don't you know Cool, very cool. Which has also ruffled some feathers because some people who I've gigged with have been like, well, you didn't invite me. Mm-hmm. Well, can't be all mm. punk rock dudes. Yeah. All right. And then uh, another question before we get to um, our final questions. Uh-huh. And just sometimes I feel like, oh, I, I, like I'll leave a podcast and be like, oh, I didn't ask this thing that I really wanted to know. And sometimes <laughs> it's because I feel stupid asking certain questions uh, or like I, I, I need to be walked through things like a child sometimes. Oh. But when you're booking a venue, uh-huh. can you just walk me through the steps of what you would do? Mm-hmm. If it's a, a venue, you've never worked with anyone there before, mm-hmm. but you are creating a tour or, or what have you, what do you do? Well, I mean, uh, an Austin thing is very different for me and I can only speak to how I do it, versus a tour on the road now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, back in the day, way harder. I mean, I had to call places and be like, hey, you don't know me, yeah. <laughs> or you you know the altercation brand from the magazine or whatever, but here's this fucking crazy thing. Want to do this? Huh? Sh- ugh, I guess. You know. Now it's at the point where I can send people just to my website or whatever and be like, I've got a date open in your area. I do one-nighters, typically. Um, and wait, how do you pick the venue? Geography, mm-hmm. geography. Well, <clears throat> that's evolved a lot too, because when I, even after the first few years, um, I was mainly looking for like the rock and roll club or whatever. Now that's very much not the case. Now I look for some place that is familiar with doing comedy. I don't want to build the wheel. Okay. Um, so like a kick butt is perfect. You know, some place that. You can push it as a comedy specific event and it's not a general admission punk rock dive, you know? Right. Which I'll still do if the, the terms are right and it makes sense. Um, but by and large, you know, like when I go to Minneapolis, I do the comedy club there. You know, when I go to uh, Philadelphia, I do this place, Philomoca, which is like a. It's where like Lydia Lunch performs and, you know, they do like uh, David Lynch films and weird shit like that. So just kind of a, an odd mix. But. Um, on the road, if it's, you know, I need a night somewhere, I'll just find out who the comedy promoter is in that city or whatever and just hit them up on Facebook typically and be like, hey, this is uh, a night I have off. You want to do something? Cool. You want to set it up? Wait, I'm what's into- a comedy? The comedy promoter in a scene? Yeah. What so, well, that? there's usually, okay, uh, like the me or the Matt Bearden or the, you know, the person generally that will put on shows okay. or or also another thing is if there's a weekly 
uh, a lot of times I'll approach them like, all right, I'm, it's a Wednesday night. Uh, we're in Indiana. Mm-hmm. The fuck is going on on a Wednesday night in Indiana? Well, there happens to be a weekly showcase there that happens at this place. Cool. I'll message whoever runs that and say, hey, would you like to do this as a special event type thing? We'll charge just five bucks at the door or we'll do it free, but do a donation thing or whatever. And generally, because people are in the headspace of comedy, those shows end up being pretty good. Yeah. So um, I really avoid building it up from the ground up gotcha. now because that's super hard. Yeah, so you try to find video, uh, venues that are that at least sometimes do comedy, mm-hmm. and then like so, yeah, Kickbutt does comedy places like the North Door, mm-hmm. for instance. Did my here. birthday roast at the North Door? Um, yeah. And so let's let's pretend the North Door were somewhere well, that you didn't live here, mm-hmm. and they were calling them up. So you you find someone to email. Is that the first? Time? Yeah, typically I go to the website and find whatever mm-hmm. the email is there, or I'll ask if I have a comic friend in the city. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of snoop around on Facebook and say, because if you can get a direct line to somebody, it's so much better mm-hmm. than you know, Facebook's. <laughs> as much as I loathe it, sometimes it's great in that if you send a message, you can tell when someone's seen it or not. Yes, <laughs> I was wondering if there's a way that like that you can turn that off. But uh, I mean, the only way so I useful. found that you can turn that off is if uh, you get a messenger and you see the message and you go to the just yeah, the messenger area. Totally, you can kind of sort of read it and get a vibe. Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Now. See it? Yeah, I do that with a lot well, of because young I also want to leave it unread so that I get back to it. That's my big thing. Mine is I get first year comics saying look at my 20 minute tape and i'm like i'm too busy dude i I, you know but i don't want to be like no you know or or give you an honest opinion on that's not good yet you know um but yeah i it's i really try and uh see who's enthusiastic and kind of trust my gut by this point as to what's going to be a good show even sometimes more so than what the money might be Mm -hmm. money's important because i got to pay my feature who i bring out with me like i pay them x amount um, but if a place is like, well, we can give you this and it's in a sports bar and it's right after karaoke I'm like, uh, or some other places like, well, it's our weekly, but we can only pay you half of what they're offering. But you know, all the comics hang out there and, uh, I'm like, I know I'll sell merch. I know it'll be a better show. I yeah. Know, so I'll take that, you know? Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how I You just call it. them up and say, Hey, I'd like to put a show on, on this date and yeah, I mean, typically it's also referral to a degree because mm-hmm. uh, having been on, you know, I, I never like to drop names if I can help it, but like having been on Stanhope's podcast and stuff, people are aware of me a little bit from that mm-hmm. branding of things too. And working with, you know, a lot of the unbookables like Christine Levine and Mishka, uh, people go like, oh, that guy, cool. Yeah, let's we'll roll the dice on that. And I don't ask for a lot. I'm not greedy. Yeah. You know, I ask for enough that I can make money and sell merch and pay my feature and what would be sort of an average amount for a, a, a weekend a weekend show somewhere yeah like one show or yeah. a week uh again it depends um or a range let's give a range range typically well it depends if it's a festival too because festivals pay a little more typically a range for me on a weekend is between four and eight hundred for nice. a show four and eight hundred for a show and that's you know but that's if I'm going to that city for one night, you know yeah. what I mean? And it depends on the market, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I can do that sometimes. And it depends on the venue and history. There's so many yeah. things, you know, like sometimes I'll do a Friday and Saturday for that range. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in Chicago and I really like the venue yeah, and um, I'll say, you know, give me 
600 bucks for two shows or whatever yeah. you know but i pay my feature and i don't say you have to pay the feature on top of that or fuck those guys or whatever you know yeah. like, i'll usually let them supply the host and they figure that out um but i like to travel with a feature that i trust um so that's ballpark you know gotcha. but it's also sometimes like when i did punk rock bowling this year in vegas i said don't pay me anything just let me take the door because i know my crowd yeah we'll charge 10 bucks at the door and i weigh way more money that way yeah you know so it's it's all calculated in terms of having done it for so long in the markets at this point and just knowing gotcha who's going to be there and who's going to come you know a lot of times if you take the door it'd be way better yeah you know you take but it also you know if, if it's a venue i've never been before or market I've never been before, I'll take way lower just to get my foot in the door and prove it. Right. And then the next time around, I'll be like, all right, let's yeah. do this. Gotcha. But, okay. you know, weeknights, a couple hundred bucks, you know. But again, it's very, if it's a better if it's a better show, I'll take less money. Yeah, and then hope to sell merch, help to get fans and all that. I will absolutely do a show on a Thursday for $150 and yeah. give 50 of that to my feature and then sell merch if it's a better set than okay. doing a $400 yeah. show at a dance club or what gotcha. you know what i mean like it's yeah. just um because i'm only getting there once per year right and if it's a bummer what's the fucking point it's just yeah. a, why are we doing this not to be and you need to make money you know but yeah yeah very cool no i think that that helps clarify things for me at least hopefully for our yeah. listeners i mean it's not uh you know the 20k payday that you know oh. a lot of <laughs> please i'm not expecting well somebody just came out with that who is it um uh, what's her name from the comedians of comedy um my brain isn't working she said she takes 20000 per gig. Well, she, she went on um, online and said, ladies, this is what I get per show. Oh, This is what I pay my fee. She has just total transparency. And um, why can I not think of her name? Help me out. Comedians of Comedy. Um, I don't really. Maria Bamford. I was going to say, was it? Mar- I didn't Maria want to Bamford. say that because That's if I was, was wrong, then it would have been very No, insulting. it was Maria Bamford. <laughs> Maria Bamford, this was like six months yeah, ago. Yeah, she did. But yeah, I remember there was an article. It was yeah. a whole, she's like, there's taboo about pay and this is, I get 20 grand a show. And I was like, you well, can feel like the internet gas, but she's famous. Fucking very famous. She's um, like the only woman that if if I ask someone who their favorite, if I ask a guy who their favorite comics are, um, they'll name five guys and then they'll be like, oh, and Maria Bamford. You really? Know, it's, yeah, that's the most difficult. That's interesting. They're like, oh, I got to think of a girl. Oh, Maria Bamford. Yeah. I mean, I, I did the Sarah same Solomon. thing, honestly. <laughs> I think maybe a few years ago that might have been the case, uh-huh. but she's, you know. Uh huh. Well, yeah, it's a complicated. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly. Yep. Uh, yes. Um, yes. Very complicated. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to our. I'm. I want to rename it something. I don't want to call it the lightning round, but it is sort of the lightning round. <laughs> sure. Can't just if you have any advice. Um, so, what is the best advice that's ever been given you about about oh, comedy man. or about mm. life that relates to comedy? Well, actually, something that you brought up a little bit. The the main advice. There's been a couple. Uh, one has been uh, give the audience time to laugh hmm. because I would also race through. My pacing is fast in a lot of stuff and I would race through stuff and my wife actually said, she said, you know, they're listening in the room. You have the room completely, but it's quiet and they're not laughing because they're so intent on listening. They don't want to miss whatever. Give them breaks where they can fill it and laugh. So that was a game changer for me. That was a super important step and and is that something where you are um just literally like taking a drink of water at strategic times when they're laughing or what what else can be uh and my crowd it's uh (laughs) highlighted by a drink of bourbon or something like that you know what i mean like that's 
again that aesthetic of whatever yeah i've seen you what you do is you just line up eight shots of eight bourbon on a stool of bourbon periodically do one yeah do, and quote bukowski uh <laughs> no but absolutely a drink can be a thing mm-hmm. um but not necessarily in like my rantier stuff because i have stuff that's very intentionally fast-paced and then you're done with it but it's it's pauses just to give them a second yeah. um whereas if i took a drink in the middle it'd be weird and would right. stop the flow um so that was a very important thing um something that no one no one really told me but it's just something that i've realized just for doing it so long is that uh there will always be comics that don't like you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes there's no good reason. It's just their insecurities or or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's always going to happen. There's always going to be people that you're nice to or whatever I work with. And then you find out they're shit talkers or whatever. Just yeah. bummer. Um, it's always going to be. Always is. To a degree, that whole hater thing of like the bigger you get, the more it kind of tra- maybe. Um but I, I, in my experience, it's just been a thing that is more specific to comedy even than the music industry because uh, I see my band friends and that occasionally happens. Oh, that drummer's a shithead or whatever. But with comedy, I think because it's such a lone wolf, even when it's communal, uh, everybody's doing their thing. And so uh, I and Kanane and I have talked about this. Kanane really keeps people at arm's length. You know, he's a very friendly guy, but everybody's on his dick you know, like it's like it's the the longer you're in it the harder it is to know who's a friend i guess and just mm. so you don't want to be guarded but it, just be aware of that just don't be because i used to be very needing everyone to like you no not that at all oh. i was never that i always uh, but i was just more uh op uh, what's the right term um high-eyed as far as like this will be cool we'll all all be together and like a community thing of like this will be you know we're all comics aiming for the same and and uh that ain't the case yeah (laughs) there's a lot of people who like what they do in life is tear people down Mm -hmm. or or just stew in that kind of jealousy or Mm -hmm. whatever yeah and aren't as focused on their own stuff well it's a comic thing too of a weird uh animosity about ambition i found yes yeah like uh, like there's people who want to be cool about this and it's like hey you don't want to look like you're trying it's like well, yeah you, you know how much ambition me? you have to have in order to do this career yes and i'm not talking gross way. ambition absolutely right i'm not talking gross ambition about like you make business cards with your face on them and yeah. put them under people's windshields to like oh, try and get I a, know, I thought a windshield. <laughs> <laughs> or or like you know the uh the guy that bumps you in line for the auditioner, like that type of yeah. cutthroaty shit. But like, there's some people that are like, how dare you make a t-shirt? Fuck you. Yeah. Or <laughs> you know? don't like, don't make a website until you've been, it's like, oh, well, get out of here. It's so useful when you have a website, just, I mean, for a million reasons, but it, even if it's just your aunt wanting to know when your show is, but sure. also if I'm booking a show, even of local comics, if they have a website, it's so much easier if I'm looking for a mm-hmm. credit or something. You know something. what the first thing press looks for? A website. Right. They're not going to your Twitter Plus, account. Get, get your fucking URL before someone else yes, does. Yes, all those things. Yeah. So yeah, that don't listen to that. You yeah. know, um, I I always said, well, since I got full time, I said I will take, I will listen with an open ear to criticism to anybody that does more dates than me per year. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, if, if you're not out there grinding, 
which isn't a discount because it's Matt Bearden. I would listen to what Matt Bearden has to say very intently. Yeah. Because I respect him a lot. And Matt Bearden lives here. Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of people that are like, well, how'd you get that? Well, how'd you get that? I fucking worked my ass off. And yeah. Sacrificed a lot, you know? Yeah. And so, um, tr- and it's hard because comics are sensitive creatures. You know, it's hard to tune that out sometimes. Um, but do your best to tune it out. Yeah. Um, and don't, don't let other people make you feel weird for wanting to work hard or to yeah. promote your shit because no one else is going to do it. Word. Yeah, totally. Well, that kind of, because the next question is, what would you tell yourself? But I, it's it's really, what would you tell yourself in your first year or two? So is there some, some other piece of advice that specifically when you're just <laughs> starting out? Yeah. Uh, well, what I would tell myself or what I would tell comics, because mm-hmm. that's different. What I would tell myself mm-hmm. is that as much as you want it, the group thing isn't sustainable because I wanted my own Ramones. Uh. and five or yeah. five comics from out of town traveling together in one car is unsustainable Yeah, because <laughs> it's too many people to crash with. It's too many people in the car. It's too many, too little money to go around. It's, it's can't, can't yeah. work. It's not a band. It's not a band. Can't work. Um, but what I would tell a comic, um, mm-hmm. spend a lot of time finding your voice. I mean, everybody, which is a cliche thing, I guess, but try not to be, Bill Hicks. Try not to be, you know, uh, Maria Bamford. Someone else, yeah. Yeah, because it's natural for people to come from, like, everybody's got their people, you know, and that's a natural thing. But really try to work to find, you know, and it may, you might be, a lot of comics, I think, approach stand-up as this is the way you do it. You write a joke, you write a segue, you go to the open mic, you do this, and then you work yourself up to host and then eventually you feature and blah 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 this is the way you do you know fuck that you know like you can do it that way it's a good way to get your start but don't let anybody say you're doing comedy wrong (laughs) you know what i mean because there's you know there's a lot of uh you're there's only one you you know if you want to be new and interesting the way your heroes were new and interesting mm -hmm. you have to do different stuff Mm -hmm. you have to do stuff that other people are going to be like or at least some other people are gonna be like what the fuck is that you know yeah Uh, and and, you know give yourself the uh the the freedom you need to have your eventual tight seven for industry stuff if you want to take it serious and because that's just the way it goes yeah um don't try and book yourself to headline too soon if you have a 20 minute set or you know all those those things but um don't get tied down in the specifics of what comedy is supposed to be as far as like the grand model of things you know yeah. the fucking americans got t- talent model of like well that's comedy that's what you know yeah your aunt likes it yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of other people out there besides your aunt yeah there's a lot of other people out there besides your aunt mm-hmm. exactly um and i don't know how often you're seeing new comics open mic people people in their first few years i see a lot open for me not not at mics and stuff but i i always have locals on every show because mm-hmm. i want to see comics so usually i'll have two of a host and then another and i'll let them book them so is there anything that you could say to newer comics that you're tired of seeing oh yeah go ahead <laughs> <laughs> well we talked about it a little bit earlier the uh looking at your phone the mm-hmm. what what else did i want to talk about shit yeah cut it out have have Some know respect. what you're gonna say you're doing eight minutes or whatever yeah. know what you're gonna say um also uh not necessarily a stage mechanic thing but if you'd go to a show and then immediately leave before mm-hmm. watching the other comics 
I will never book you again. Yeah. I will actively make sure you're not on a future show and I'll tell other comics that you do that shit. Yeah. Because it's, what are you there for? Well, I think a lot of people got this notion uh, in their heads and, and of like, and they've heard of, of it, this, especially like from New York comics and stuff uh-huh. like, oh, you know, you're supposed to go up five times a night. You go up to this mic and hit York this mic. you're in New York or L.A. Yeah. And even even here, there are nights where you can do four or five mics. But I think, and, and everyone has a different system, just, mm-hmm. like, just like with writing and everything. But I've noticed, you know... I, I think some people think that that's a good in and of itself. And if you're going up to ever, and some of those mics aren't even good, you know, you might get more out of watching the rest of the show. If you're booked, I'm talking, yeah. I mean, if, if there's somebody coming to town on like a, you know, a Sam talent level or just somebody that works a lot, yeah. you know, and they're there for one or two nights every year. Yeah. And you, you ask to be on the show yeah. and then you leave with your yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, no, that's go, insane. What, what the fuck are you, you know, the, right. watch that how person. Would, and how would you not want to watch them and then network if possible? Well, that's exactly it. Even if you don't like their comedy, say you hate what they Doesn't, do on stage, yeah. you're going to want to talk to that and person. And you can respect someone as an artist or as a comedian without liking their stuff Absolutely. particularly. There's been that's not, plenty of comics I've shared stages with that I'm like, well, I'm not really into that, but they're doing stuff. They're yeah. out there doing it and I, I want to, see their experiences and you know absolutely so i don't know so that that's a big thing you know be aware of that shit um but on stage really the phone thing is the main thing that bugs me Mm -hmm. um and it's something else i call edgy hack which is something i found from being you know one thumb in the stanhope crew is that a lot of people new comics will get up and they need to be as extreme as they can just to let the whole this audience can't handle me yeah be funny be funny first yeah if you can work your well way up to that edgy abortion choke or whatever you're yeah. trying for cool but you know the reason george carlin's so revered is because it was very hard to do that right. type of there is no god shit if you just come out of the gate you're just yelling facts at me right <laughs> you know so work on funny first and then work on the message i guess yeah totally awesome and then if you could change because you do spend a significant amount of time in the austin comedy scene mm. is there something that you would change if you had a magic wand um about this about austin about austin yes uh the rad thing about austin is that there's so many good places to get up mm-hmm. um every night of the week there's places to get up and some showcases uh, become their own magical thing. Like, you know, Sure Thing was an amazing show. Um, it was very sad to see that go. Yeah. Uh, that was a really great room and energy in that whole thing. But something that really drives me fucking crazy is that every one of these shows is always free. Yes. There's a million free shows every night of the week. And then comics, I hear them all the time say, there's no money in comedy. <laughs> That's because you give it away every yes. night of the week. Thank you. Can we just, oh my God. First of all, <laughs> there's so many places that could at the very least be doing a fucking tip jar. And I've talked to some people about it and they still, I don't, I don't know why they're so afraid of this. Bands yeah, that no one gives a shit or is even at the venue mm-hmm. still send tip jars around. Yeah. Number two, when you're booking, when you're going to a place and you, you want to have a show, you're a new comic who's, who's a year or two in maybe or even if you whatever and you go to a place and you're like oh hey I'd like to have a comedy show here you are not supposed to just be grateful that they're giving you that mm-hmm. they are trying to sell more drinks on a fucking Tuesday yeah, night they don't care about comedy okay and so you need to say other shows in town hey hey my friend is doing a show at this and such place they're getting paid X amount 
can you give us that money you know and then pay yourself pay the comics use mm-hmm. some of the money for promotion whatever but do not continue to give it away for free because that waters down the rest of our ability to get paid for this absolutely right that is the biggest wand I'm uh, glad you're as passionate about it as I am and people all the time well when I started doing the monthly a kick butt yeah uh, fortunately they said well you just run it just do what you want yeah and I said alright it's gonna be 10 bucks yeah it's gonna be uh, I'm gonna walk in there with the money I have in my pocket to pay all the comics and if I make money back on the door cool yeah fucking free and 10 bucks is you know, it's a movie ticket but it's sizable people go 10 bucks yes ten dollars and it's worth it cheaper than most movie tickets right but every night of the week there's free shit all the time and it drives me nuts because it's very good comic performers yes that headline elsewhere or have serious credits that are just giving it away and then i'm so broke i hate my day job i'm yes you're telling people and i actually got into this a little bit online not so much me because i i posted it as a thing Mm Uh, which was another irksome thing. And then a lot of Austin comics actually chimed in and said, well, that's not fucking right. Is that uh, if you're a comic, go and there's a show happening and it's 10 bucks. Say Ariel's headlining my Mm -hmm. show, monthly show. And I'm not a part of it, but I want to go to that show to support. I'm going to show up to that show with 10 bucks in my pocket to pay as me to go see you headline. Mm -hmm. Band people that I'm friends with always show up to the shows willing to pay. Every fucking comic I know Ask, uh, guess list, guess list. No, comics don't want to pay for it. And I understand that it's a perk, that it's an intangible, that you generally get in for free. Yeah. If if a comic shows up to my show, I'm going to let him in nine yeah. out of ten times. But they got to be willing to pay, not just this assumption yeah. that, oh, I'm so broke, I'm so broke. Then you spend all their money at the bar. Well, part of what the frustration is, it's like, well, you might not be so broke if you got paid for your fucking shows yes. instead of giving it away for free. And I think a few years ago that the skill level maybe wasn't high enough here. Agreed. I don't know what year. That, that, that it made sense yeah. to be giving it away for free. Now like, it's we're just fucking getting sharp. It. Yes, now there are people who are talented sharp. and skilled and who've been doing this for many years. And it is, it's insulting. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it, it waters it, it waters down. And, and people, have, there, some more shows have started where they are paying and paying reasonable amounts but it's just it's people not knowing that they need to ask there's no value on it and yeah. it's also the crowd knows that if yeah. the crowd walks into a free show and I've done free shows where I'm getting paid it sounds like you're begging them to come in exactly for and there's no and I don't care if you charge three bucks yeah. there's no invested interest on that fucking idiot walking in in his loafers just, going oh it's comedy night I guess I'll see what this is about and then leaving or, or, or talking or there's talking. no invested yeah. interest yeah there was a show uh, I didn't have cable as a kid, but I think it was on Nickelodeon. It was something where they, these people I were all either. at a camp. Um, I, they were just at some camp, and, and it was these kids, and one of them was this nerdy kid who was mm-hmm. writing this newspaper. It's the only episode I've ever seen of the show. Um, all my friends watched it. It's, <laughs> okay. it's camp something. Anyway, um, and he made this little newsletter every day, and he would try to give it away, and nobody ever would take it. Mm-hmm. It was it was always like, nah, nerd, or they take blog. it and throw it away. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like, yeah, yeah, no one cares. I don't want to wipe my ass with this. Right. Anyway, it's a kid's show. But, um, and then someone was like, hey, man, just charge it dime mm-hmm. and as soon as he, I mean this is a TV show but as no, soon as true. he started charging a dime everyone all of a sudden and he's selling out and it's like you say three bucks even yeah, make something. it make them invested get something where you can because a lot of people are paying some at least time if not money to promote mm-hmm. the show mm-hmm. or you want to be able to pay the comics yeah and then and then maybe you would have ten bucks to this support year something has been the most Austin shows I've done in the last four years mm-hmm. and that has been nine shows <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that includes Sound on Sound Fest in November. Yeah. Where I have a surround clause and 
can't do anything. It's it's I don't understand why people fucking go on tour. You, yeah. Like I make money when I go on. Why are you on the road so much? Because that's where you make money. Yeah. Leaving the home base. Get out of the fish pond, man. There's too many talented people here that just are content to just do a bunch of sets every night. Yeah, and they're they're better than that. Fucking yeah. go, you know. I, but. I just keep my head down and do my own thing. But the, yeah. the the biggest I get worked up about the money thing because you can make money in comedy. You make a lot of money, not unless you're Louis C.K. or whatever. No, but lean in. But you can make you can survive. Yeah. You know? You can you have to be crafty. You have to yeah. not buy dumb shit or not necessarily go out as much as you used Don't to. Drink or as much. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I always I won't give up the booze, but <laughs> <laughs> make sure your drinks but, are free. Right. You, yeah, generally, you know, stuff like that. But um, I, yeah. So that that drives me crazy. Well, that those are great answers. Some of the best answers we've gotten for cool. for a thunder round, or whatever. <laughs> um, and then let's just wrap up with comedy endorsements. Okay. So it can be any anything related to comedy. Mm-hmm. The thing I wanted to endorse is a YouTube um, video from Nerd Writer One, the numeral one. I don't. It looks like they have a bunch of interesting content. I just stumbled across this today, but there's something from Louis. It's a Louis C.K. How to Tell a Joke, and this it's just this video that does a great breakdown of the joke he had about playing oh, Monopoly that. with his daughters. I actually saw that, yeah. Yeah, and it, they just really go through in, in almost like a perfect amount of Asperger's mm-hmm. kind of way of like just exactly what he's doing at every moment of that joke. And it was like, it was it was great. I posted that. I, I thought that was very good also. And a few months ago, I posted that in a comic group and got yelled at for it. Well, <laughs> you can't talk to comics. That was exactly it. It was like, well, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, fucking, I wish I had never posted it. Well, it's also like, if you give any opinion, people think that you're saying that's the only one right way to do anything. Absolutely. And so that's I was like, not this is point. something I found neat and yeah, interesting. Insightful. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, it talks about his inflection and everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the way he would mm-hmm. pause, the subtle word choices, very mm-hmm. cool. Yep, um, comedy thing. I've been so in the brain about the festival next week, so that's that. AltercationComedyFest.com for all that nitty gritty. I don't know when this will air, but um, we're gonna do your endorsements after this general comedy endorsement. Don't worry. Okay, cool. Um, general comedy endorsement. What did I see that was very funny? Let's see. I listen to so much non-comedy stuff when I'm home. <laughs> it's like true crime podcasts and weird shit like that. Um, can I just give people that I think yes. are really good? Brian Ziola out of uh, Jacksonville, Florida is a dynamo. He's going to be in for the fest next we week. We are uh, friends on Facebook. Wonderful. Sure. So funny. Uh, really, really, really great. Um, I will also say the McEwens <laughs> of Mike Weeby and Avery yes. Moore consistently one of the funniest and again loose you mm-hmm. know uh on stage things i've ever seen just incredibly funny uh and uh chad daniels nice his new special is still on the billboard charts which is awesome called footprints on the moon and chad is a wonderful dude and and incredibly funny so very cool. And now let us uh, let one of you go ahead and, and talk about altercation if you have anything else you want to plug too. But plug altercation. Okay, cool. Uh, well, yeah, um, altercationcomedyfest.com. It's um, three shows nightly. There's going to be bands closing out Friday night and Saturday night if you're into the wee hours of the night. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, all the tickets are 35 bucks, which breaks down to I don't know, nine bucks a day, give or take. Uh, it's all a kickbuck coffee. Um, Starts this Wednesday, the 27th, doors at 6, and runs through Saturday. 
Um, I'm pretty happy with the lineup. I think people will like it. I'm yeah. super happy you're on it. Thanks for yeah, doing it. Yeah, and I'm going to be on the end Saturday, Saturday night, the night. 30th at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm, with Carmen Morales, who is a hilarious comic from L.A. Awesome. And many others. Dante Powell from uh, Iowa. I'm excited. Chris Buck from Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know how I remember this. Anyway, <laughs> I'll be on that night with uh, members of the Butthole Surfers and American Sharks and others. Hey, which night is Kyle Kinane? Kyle is on Wednesday. Wednesday. Which one? Uh, the 9 p.m., I believe. 9 p.m. With Brian Ziola. He's nice. on that show. Nathan Lund from Denver. Awesome. Uh, and as far as um, my new split album, is called Into the Wilderness. That is with Mishka Shibali out on Stand Up Records. You can get that on Amazon.com. Limited blue vinyl. And theroadpodcast.com is my podcast, which is updated weekly. And it's generally me in weird cities talking to comics and musicians and adventurous spirits right. <laughs> sorts so that's that's pretty much everything awesome yeah everybody go buy stuff check stuff out come to altercation come to the festival and we'll see you next week thanks hey thanks for sticking with us guys i just wanted to plug some more of my shows that are coming out this week um if you're listening to this today thursday the 21st i am going to be at the ginger man um headlining the show that tyler gross and scott sticker put on that's at 9 p.m uh it seems like it's gonna be really fun and at uh, friday the 22nd i'm doing the spitballing show at the new movement at 7 30 so a riffing show which is of course one of my favorite things saturday night the 23rd at 10 p.m i'll be at the gatsby doing the saturday night fever show and Monday, the 25th, at 8 p.m., I'm doing Truth, Lies, and Fantasy at Barrel of Fun, Robert Segovia's show, where... Oh, I guess I can't tell you which one I'm doing. I think that's part of the... I think that's part of the show. And then Wednesday, at 8 p.m., I'm doing Josh Castro's show in Oasis Brewery, and then driving as soon as possible back to Kick Butt Coffee to see Kyle Kinane at 9 p.m., just going to tell Josh I'm going up first. I hope he doesn't have alternate plans. <laughs> cool. And then the following weekend, just go to all of the, you know, come come to the Kick Butt uh, Coffee Shop for the Altercation of Comedy Festival, if you can still get a pass, you know, because they might be sold out. But as of Wednesday, the 20th, there were still 10 passes left. And come see me on the 30th at 9 p.m. at Kick Butt with Carmen Morales, who I'm very interested to meet because I'm going to be in L.A. in October. Let's go do some networking. Cool. And join us next week where we're doing a crossover podcast with uh, Valerie Lopez and her comedy wham. That's going to be really fun. Bye. International.